This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. All right, let's get into his word, shall we? Let's go to Hebrews 4. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Hebrews 4, and we'll be in uh, verses 14 through 16. 14 through 16 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. Let's read. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, it is good to be back from our vacation. Thank you for allowing us to take a few weeks and to get our rest. I had a lot of time with my dad. He um, lives in Kentucky, and I went down and picked him up and brought him back and had Thanksgiving with him and then dropped him off again. But um, I noticed when I was down there that I wasn't thrilled about his living conditions where he was. He kind of was camping out in the house he grew up in. And I think there's more nostalgia than uh, um, wisdom in that decision. So we encouraged him to go ahead and get, get himself moved into a safer place. And he did. And he happened to move to Dawson Springs, Kentucky. And if you've been watching the weekend news, you know that a tornado uh, ripped through west central Kentucky. And in this pathway was Dawson Springs, and the tornado was literally a quarter of a mile from my dad's house. It missed him, praise God, but it missed him by a quarter of a mile. He said he was standing out on his porch about 1030 at night. And he could just hear the this devastation going on. But thank God he was, he was saved from that. And uh, it took me all day to get a hold of him. Someone finally went and checked on him. So in the morning, I knew he was safe, but he didn't get cell service until late in the afternoon. And uh, we had a talk. And, you know, it's one of those situations where they just need our help. You know, they just do. There's a, a lot of devastation down there. So certainly be praying how you can help him. I want to help dad. I mean, dad never ceased to help me. Growing up, I mean, whenever I needed him, he was there to help. And uh, I, you probably have done this as a kid. Like there are some times when I was a kid, I got myself in some real interesting predicaments. Uh, one time though, when I was real little, I climbed up in a tree. You ever done this? You ever climb up in a tree and like, I don't know how to get down <laughs> and you get scared. And I, mean, I remember very clearly this day, like I was, I was scared. You know, I was 15. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> no, but I, I was frightened and I'm like, I was, I was really little. I was frightened. And I was like, you know, and I, I, I know what I need to do for help. I need to call my dad. I need, I need to get my dad out here. And so, you know, dad, dad, call him for dad. And I'll never forget, man, watching dad walk out and seeing that face of both um, compassion and annoyance. You know, that dad look. <laughs> and uh, But him saying, you know, boy, come here, jump, jump to me. I got you, jump to me. And trusting him enough to even do that, to jump out of that limb and into the arms of my father. So he grabbed me and he sat me down. But I, I just knew in a time of need, where I needed to go, and I needed to go to my dad. Where do you go in a time of need? You ever been in a time of need? You went someplace in your heart, in your mind. You went someplace. You sought hope. You sought help somewhere. And I want to say to you this morning, I know it sounds cliche, I want to remind you, 
Go to Jesus in your times of need. You will go somewhere. Some of us go to ourselves in a time of need. We look to our own ability to be able to get us out of this thing. And so we run inwardly to ourselves to figure it out, to knock it out, to get it done. And, and that's where some of us tend to go in a time of need. Some of us, I mean, we go right to despair. Because we've been in need before and we haven't felt like we got that hope. And we go to despair immediately. I want to challenge you, man. Run to Jesus. Now, it's one thing to say, it's another thing to do, and I want to help you do it. What we're doing in this series right now, in this Christmas series, is we're trying to help you to look to Jesus. We have in our um, culture all kinds of distractions, things that could take our eyes off of the Savior, off of Jesus. I mean, it could be good things like family. I love my family. I love gathering with family. But that whole dynamic, whenever you get with family, extended family and all of that, man, that's enough there to take your eyes off Jesus a little bit. Maybe it's just a commercialism of the day, whatever it is. And we're just saying again and again, look to Jesus. And last week, Adam unpacked for you Jesus as our prophet. And from Hebrews chapter 1, no one reveals God like Jesus revealed God. And Adam did an awesome job of preaching that. This week, I get the privilege of talking about Jesus as priest. And we're going to go to Hebrews 4 for that. Next week, Drew's going to come and preach on Jesus as king. What does it mean to have Jesus as king? And then we're going to wrap it all up with Jesus as savior. And just looking to Jesus again and again. So we sat down and we said, okay, prophet, priest, king, savior, what are the passages we should lean on? If you're going to preach on Jesus as priest, you can't miss Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. It says it right there. He is our great high priest. And I want you to look at this text because it's one thing to say on a Sunday morning, run to Jesus for help. It's a whole other thing to see what it actually looks like to do that in real life. So I want to help you with that today by looking at this text. And this text really lies out for us an argument. And I want you to see the argument in this text because what we want to do this morning is to build our message around a passage of Scripture. Make the point of the Scripture, the point of the sermon, and to build our arguments around it. And here's how it lies out. If you notice this, there's a since then argument going on here in these uh, four verses. A since then are two verses since then argument i'm sorry three verses 14 15 three verses uh, since then argument going on and when you see it in verse number 14 first of all see uh, the first part of verse number 14 since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god then let us hold fast you see the argument so since jesus is this then we should do this he does it again in verse 15 with the word for same idea. He's adding to the sense for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Then let us draw with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace. So you see this since then argument since G listen, since Jesus is who he is, then what we need to do is what? Well, verse 16 is a conclusion to the argument. So let's look at it together. Then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Do you have times of need? Where do you run? I want you to run to Jesus. So let's take a look at this. And I'm going to 
package the sermon. The, first of all, here's the big idea. It should be the big idea of the text. So it, it's, it's this. In my time of need, I will go to Jesus first and always. I will go to Jesus first and always. I say first because, like I said, at times your mind goes somewhere, your heart goes somewhere. We establish these habit patterns of looking for hope in other things. And I want to say, let's just retrain our minds, retrain our thinking that in our self-talk and the way we handle internally these issues, we're running to Jesus as a default. The first thing that happens, man, I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to Jesus. So first, and then always for every situation, every time running to Jesus. To do that, we first need to understand the reality of Jesus. The reason I called for my dad when I was stuck in a tree is because I believed in all my heart that he was able and willing to help. If I'm going to call on you to go to Jesus again and again in your time of need, man, I got to remind you about who he is. What an awesome thing to start this sermon out this morning and just talk a lot about our incredible God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I want to do that kind of in two ways. First of all, I want to talk about the fact that Jesus is high. Jesus is high. And this text has several phrases that point out how incredible and amazing Jesus is. And so we have the phrase and that we have the reason why we came to this text in the first place, which is this. Since then, we have a great high priest. So Jesus is our high priest. Um, uh, we don't do the high priest thing here on earth anymore. We don't have human high priests. But the People to whom this book was written to would have got this right away. By the way, who was this book written to? Hebrews. Yeah. <laughs> who was First Peter written to? Uh, the church. So not First Peter. Anyway, he wrote it. So yeah, I get where you might be confused. Hebrews was written to Hebrew people. And so when the author of Hebrews, not Paul, but the author of Hebrews was writing the book of Hebrews, uh, chances are, I mean, I, without any question, his mind is going to the Jewish people because so much of the book of Hebrews is wrapped around the Old Testament and saying Jesus is the greater and better. And here what he's saying is, you know what a high priest is? You have a high priest. They had high priests. Caiaphas was a high priest. We know that they were there. And, and these high priests had certain functions that they did, certain actions they performed. And paramount was the action of every year coming in and, and offering up a sacrifice on behalf of the people of God. And he would go into the Holy of Holies. Here is a uh, picture of the tabernacle. This would be the uh, Old Testament tabernacle that they would carry with them as they went. And you can see the sections. There's the outer courtyard. There's what's called then the holy place. And then where the um, uh, altar was, there was the Holy of Holies. Now, the whole purpose of the Old Testament is to just foreshadow the coming of Jesus Christ. You know that? Why didn't God like send Jesus right after the garden? You know, he could have. Like man messed up in the garden on Thursday and by Sunday, Jesus had come and died. He could have done that way. But there's a whole lot of time and a whole lot that happened in his sovereignty to paint all of these pictures and to teach us who Jesus is. And one of the things that he wants you to know is that Jesus is the greater and better high priest. 
the tabernacle here was really a picture of heaven. And Jesus enters into the holiest place. In fact, don't take my word for it. Here's John MacArthur. And here's what John MacArthur says about this picture. Just as the Old Testament high priest passed through the three areas, the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies, to make an atoning sacrifice, Jesus passed through the three heavens, the atmospheric heaven, the stellar heaven, and God's abode, after making the perfect and final sacrifice. Once a year on the Day of Atonement, the high priest of Israel would enter the Holy of Holies to make atonement for the sins of the people. The tabernacle was but a limited copy of the heavenly reality. When Jesus entered into the heaven, heavenly Holy of Holies, having accomplished redemption, the earthly facsimile was replaced by the reality of heaven itself. Now, the human high priests would go in, and what would they offer on the altar? The blood of goats and lambs and oxen, depending upon the uh, situation. But look what the Bible says about what Jesus did. In fact, take a look in your Bibles. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews 8. And look at verse number 1. We're just going to do a little study here. Uh, the author of Hebrews stays on this topic of Jesus as high priest for quite a while. And here he's talking about it again in verse number, or chapter 8, verse number 1 of chapter 8. And he points out, first of all, what the human high priest did. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Pause for a minute. See, that's what he means by pass through the heavens. Do you see in your Hebrews text where there, the other one, he said, Jesus Christ, that he would pass through the heavens. That's what this is talking about. He went to the holy of holies, the throne room of God. Verse number two now, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. So they brought something. Then what's Jesus going to bring? Let your eyes fall on chapter 9, verse 11. Now, when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to, to come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all, into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus is the better and greater high priest because he didn't offer the blood of another when he went into the heavenly of heavenlies. He offered his own blood. There's another phrase we have, Passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, it says, the Son of God. He's the high priest. He's also the Son of God. Piper nails it when he says this about that fact. His deity gives his sacrifice its infinite worth. Jesus does not take the blood of bulls and goats into the heavenly temple. Nor does he even take the blood of a mere human. He takes his own precious blood, the blood of the Son of God. And when the God the Father sees his sacrifice for my sin, he says, that is enough. Listen, is your sin bad? Do you hate your sin? I mean, I don't know about you. I really 
really hate my sin. Some of that hatred is based in pride. I just want to be better than I am. (laughs) Some of it is based genuinely in a heartache for a God who loved me, and yet I sin against him. And I hate my sin. But my sin has been covered. And my sin wasn't covered with the blood of lambs and goats. (laughs) My sin was covered by the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who entered into the holy places with the full authority of God himself and laid his own life down and paid for our sins. See, I, I, um, I've been saved since I was uh, 12 years old in October, sorry, November of 1987. I'll never forget the day I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I, 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 to do that, you need to first of all know that you're a sinner and you got to feel that weight. Man, I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. Then someone has to tell you that, okay, but Jesus died for your sin and he rose again. Are you kidding me? Yeah, Jesus, he did. And now you just got to call on him and ask you to save him. And we'll say, so all I got to do is call on him. Yes, believe in your heart and call on him and he will save you. That happened with me on November of 87. I was 12 years old. By the way, when has that happened for you? When did you realize you were a sinner and that you deserved hell? But Jesus died for you and rose again. And all you have to do is believe and call him. When did you do that? See, I ask that question again and again as a church pastoring in America today. I think many people are sitting in churches in America with with something with Jesus, asked him into his heart, asked him to come into their life, never fully understanding the actual gospel. So we got to call us again to the reality of what we're talking about. Think about this. Your sin has been covered by the Lamb of God. Jesus has paid for your sin. That's the kind of high priest we have. And the highest authority on the universe has covered your sin. It's been, it's been a moment since I preached, so forgive me if I'm preaching a little bit this morning. I, I think chances are you feel the weight of your failure. You feel your lowness. I want to show you again this morning that the highest authority, the highest of high has helped you and he will help you. It's good to go to the top for help. Can I get a witness? I had, <laughs> I had this situation when I was um, a youth pastor and uh, this was a, a while ago. And in fact, this morning it came up on, on our Facebook. I showed Courtney, uh, they, this, one of the kids in my youth group his 38th birthday is today, okay? So shut up. You're old too, so that's all right. Uh, so yeah, so this was a long time ago, and this was like when digital video editing was just coming in, and in fact, when we captured video, we actually used a camcorder with a tape in it. A tape is actually this film that you, oh yeah, so it's, and we put a tape in the camcorder, and we would record it on tape, and then we'd plug it into the computer, capture it, and after we captured it, then we'd, it was a long process, we didn't have digital recording back then, but there was this piece of software, and I remember the name of the software, but I'll leave it unnamed so that Pinnacle doesn't get in trouble, but uh, this, um, this software uh, I was using just wouldn't work, it, it kept crashing, kept crashing, kept crashing, so I, I've done 
hours and hours and hours of work on this video. I'm at the point where I'm like ready to render the video, hit render, and it crashes over and over again. And I'm like, come on. So I called the little help desk number and all that. Da, da, da. I got the guy on the phone. And at this time, I've been a computer trainer, software instructor for quite a while at this time. And I was telling the guy about computers, okay? So he just, he was the lowest of the low on the rung and just wasn't getting the help I needed. I was getting really frustrated. So what I did is I found the name of the CEO of the company. And I did enough research to find his phone number. <laughs> yeah, I called him. <laughs> and in 10 minutes, the number one technician in that company was on the phone with me, helping me solve my problem. <laughs> it's good to go to the top, all right? That's what I'm trying to say. And for us, we're going to the highest authority, the greatest high priest who has shed his own blood to cover. That's some help. Listen, yes, you hate your sin. Yes, your sin is great. The payment for your sin is amazing and sufficient and enough. Jesus looks at your sin and says, it's covered. The sacrifice of the son is enough. Now, not only did Jesus, not only is he high, but I want you to see this as well. Jesus came low. Jesus came low. How could a God like that understand me? How could the Son of God get what I'm going through? Look, we don't want to go to people who can't get it. For a long time, I was friends with a Catholic priest. I lived next door to him, and we would go to the gym and work out together. He was a good friend of mine. And one, when I was trying to win him to Jesus, to be honest with you, and uh, um, one day he said to me, you know, I have a hard time getting people to come to me for marriage counseling. Duh. <laughs> you ain't married, pal. <laughs> of course they're going to have a hard time coming to you. You don't know what you're talking about you've never been married. I'm not going to go to my baker for advice on how to fix my car. We want someone who understands, someone who gets it. And we'll look at what the text says about Jesus. Look at verse number 15, because we can say, boy, he's so high, he's so high. How can he understand where I'm at? Yeah, well, here, here's the next sense. We have the first sense. Sense, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God. We unpacked each of those phrases. Now look at verse number 15. The second sense in the text, second argument he's making here is, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with the weakness. I love how he puts it. He puts it in the negative on purpose. Don't think about Jesus this way. He is not unable to sympathize with you. So flip that around. That means he can sympathize with us. Well, look what it says. Um, but one who in every respect, what, what did that just say, church? In Read it with me. In every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's huge. It seems contradictory a little bit. And if you are without sin, how can you really be tempted? If Jesus couldn't really sin, then how in the world can he feel the temptation of sin? Kind of a logical question. Jesus never ceased to be 100% God. So when he was here on this earth, he was 100% God. Amen? Do you know this as well? Jesus was also 100% man. 
I don't get that. I don't get it either. <laughs> but the Bible says both are true, and I believe both. He was fully God, fully man. And his, in his humanity, he felt the weight, the temptation that we feel. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't feel it as strong as we do, right? He couldn't have. You know, that question was brought to C.S. Lewis. And someone was trying to tell C.S. Lewis, well, how could Jesus feel the strength of the weight? I mean, he was a good guy. How can good people feel the full weight of temptation? And C.S. Lewis wrote this. It's a lengthy quote, but it's good. No one knows how bad he is until he has tried to be very good. (laughs) Very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of the wind by trying to walk against it, not by laying down. A man who gives into temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived in a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. In Christ, because he was the only man who ever, who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows the full what temptation means, the full what temptation means, the only complete realist. He fought it all of his life. He felt the same temptations to the same degree that we feel him. Hey, have you ever been tempted to lie to get yourself out of a bad situation? So did Jesus. Ever tempted to lust? So did Jesus. To the degree that you feel it. Ever tempted to get frustrated and angry? Ever get caught off in traffic and want to tell the guy exactly how you feel about his stupid blue Prius? No, never, it never happened <laughs> in reality. License plate number X59. No. <clears throat> Obviously, a blue Prius never cut Jesus off, but that, that moment of anger and frustration and he felt the full weight of it again and again and again and again and again and again and he never gave in. Now, why did he do that? Why did he do that? Well, look at the phrase in the text. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Flip it then. We do have a high priest who does sympathize with our weaknesses. That's our Jesus. See, we get the idea that, okay, since you're the high priest, since you never sinned, then you look at us and say, well, I didn't sin. You shouldn't sin. I fought temptation. You should fight temptation. And that's not how Jesus is. No, when we come to him and say, this temptation was so strong, Lord, he says, I get it. Man, I, 
my heart wanted to go to despair and fear and anxiety. It just wanted to go there so bad. Jesus says, I understand. Do a study on the word sympathetic in the original language. I was so excited to dive in and do a study. What does this word mean? And I found the Greek word, and the Greek word is sympatheo. <laughs> Literally, where we get the word here. But here's what it means. Synth, the same as or along with. And patho, to feel. To feel the same as. To feel the same as. Jesus feels the same. He gets it. He understands. And that's who we have. Church, that's our high priest. That's our Jesus. Do you believe that? No, 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 no. Not should you believe it. Do you believe it? Where do you go in a time of need? Where do you go when the temptation is like, ah, this is hard? Where do you run? Run to Jesus. In fact, let's look at this. We have the if... Or the sense, the sense parts of that. So since Jesus is who he is, and I hope you're seeing him in a more beautiful, stronger light than you did when you came in. But, but then there's a response to that. And the response is played out this way. If you look at the text, there are two let us. Let us hold fast. Let us uh, with confidence draw near. So the first one at the end of verse 14, let us hold fast. And the second one comes in verse 16, let us with confidence draw near. So we're just going to make that kind of the responses. And so, so what are the responses going to be? And, and let's put it in a way that we can own it. So, so let's write this down first. The response of God's people, then based upon the reality, of who Jesus is, what's going to be the response of God's people? And I want to encourage you to this one first. Well, since Jesus is who he is, then I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to hold fast. Now, this is a theme all throughout the book of Hebrews. And all throughout the book, he is challenging the people, hold fast to your faith. Cling to your faith. Persevere to the end. Now, listen, we don't hold fast to get saved we hold fast if we truly are saved. It's a huge difference and an important one to remember. Your salvation is not now, has never been, will ever be based upon you and what you do. God did it all already. It's been done by him. And your faith has, that he has given you even has saved you. And so your holding fast doesn't keep you saved. But if you are, you're gonna hold fast. Is it real? Do you really have faith? And I'll get these stories all the time. People come to me and say, you say once saved, always saved. Well, I say to you, I knew a guy who, da 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 And I'll say to him, look, all that proves is that maybe the guy didn't really believe in the first place. And we don't know. But the challenge is there. And the challenge is there for us to hold fast. If there's ever a time when we're tempted to let go, isn't it in times of need? If you um, drive through Kentucky, and I have, I was born there, I lived there seven years, and my dad moved back when I graduated to Kentucky, so I've you know, been there several times. When I graduated high school, I moved there, lived there for a little over a year, and uh, if you drive through Kentucky, uh, one thing you see a lot of are churches. 
church, 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 Baptist churches, a lot of churches with what I would say is good evangelical solid theology. And a lot of people know about Jesus. And I'm wondering today how many of them are looking up to heaven and saying, God, why us? Where were you on Friday night? I mean, I can sit here and say, praise God. The tornado missed my dad by a quarter of a mile. There's a whole bunch of people who cannot say that this morning. And in that time of desperation, a time of need, isn't it a massive temptation to let go of God and to say, really, God, this is what you're going to do? Then forget it. Do you know someone in your life that's done that? Maybe that's been you. Saying it simply, in times of need, the temptation is to doubt God. And the very last thing you want to do is let go of God. Listen, if you're drowning, you need to cling to the life preserver. That's not simple enough, right? Duh, of course. If I'm drowning, of course I want to hold to a life preserver. But, but there's some people who might not want to grab onto the life preserver. Why? Well, here's a couple of reasons. One, maybe they doubt that this thing will really hold me up. I don't know if this thing can really handle my weight. I don't know if this thing can really do the job it's designed to do. I doubt the validity of the life preserver. And some people don't cling to God because they doubt that he either can or will save them in their time of need. Another reason why someone might let go of the life preserver is this. I can make it on my own. Baby, I am really good at treading water. So I'm just going to tread and I'm going to swim. I'm going to do it on my own. Well, we call that pride. I can do it. I can do it. And I don't know where you are in this. Maybe it's doubt. Maybe it's pride. But can I just challenge you to say, cling to God. Cling to God. Do you really believe that a God of love sent his son to die for your sin and that your faith has saved you, that he's forgiven you? Do you really believe that? Then cling to him. So I will hold fast is the commandment. Now we get to verse number 16, which is, I believe, the pinnacle of the argument being made in the text. And look at verse number 16 now together. Here's the second, let us, the second uh, sense, and then the then, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Church, what are we supposed to do in times of need? We are to draw near. I have, uh, as I said, been saved since I was 12 years old. When I, uh, years later, I was pastoring a church and the gospel became even more real to me. Now, I was a believer before that, but seeing new depths of God's real mercy and his real love for me. Just like shocking. God really loves me this much? I remember that day very clearly. Church, this week, I needed a reminder. Man, I did. I was doubting again. Is God really that merciful? Is God really that gracious? 
The enemy was making accusation, all this was going on, and I'm driving down to Wabash for a meeting with uh, the Light City Bible Church elders. Where I'm driving down there, and I'm dictating my sermon into my phone, and I get to this point where I start talking about his grace, and his mercy and his grace, his mercy and his grace, two key words in this text, mercy and grace. And I'm talking about it, and I'm like, the words coming out of my mouth are piercing my own stupid heart. God is that merciful. God is that gracious. So once again, I want to just talk about these things with you in both of these words. Uh, in, the, in the text, you see in verse number 16, let us in with confidence draw near to the throne of there's grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So grace and mercy are two key words here. And you know what mercy is? You know, mercy is when God withholds from us the things that I deserve. That's what mercy is. When God withholds from me the things that I deserve. Church, what do we deserve because of our sin? Death. We deserve Hell, on a macro level, take a look at that. I deserve hell. I deserve death. But Jesus took my punishment for me. That's the whole idea of the word propitiation. He absorbed the Father's wrath on my behalf. And I deserve hell, but he took that punishment for me. On a macro level, I think we get it. I wonder how much we get it on a micro, day-to-day level. (laughs) You know, what if God, what if God had in heaven a list and he's checking out your life and he's like, every time you screw up, he writes it down on one side of the other paper. Oh man, really? Oh my goodness. Wow. Skipping coffee again? No, I gave that to you for your nourishment and your joy. Why would you skip coffee? And you know, all these things. So you got all this list of the things that are there. And then for every time you screw up, he's like, okay, so now because he did this, I'm going to punish him with this. Because he did this, I'm going to punish him. What if our God did that to us? I think sometimes we imagine God doing that to us. No, no, our God is merciful. He doesn't give us what we deserve. That's mercy. Then there's grace. And and grace is when God blesses me with what I don't deserve. When God gives me the good things that I don't deserve. One would be enough. (laughs) Just having his mercy would be enough. But he is such a God that he gives both mercy and grace. And he, the Bible says, lavishes me under the waterfall of his love and his forgiveness and his goodness and his grace. And he pours it on me every day. His mercies are new. How often? Every day. And that's the help I find when I just... Draw near. I find mercy again because I need it again. And I find grace again because I need it again. Every day. And look at your text. Take a look at verse 16. What's the action that we do? Let us with confidence. What do we do? Draw near. Okay, so, all right. What does that look like? Today's Sunday, tomorrow's Monday, probably going to be Tuesday after that, uh, and I'm going to live life this week. And uh, this past week, same thing happened, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, this past week, I had some meetings on my schedule that, that you have this, like, I'm like, oh, that meeting. Ugh. I hope it turns out okay. You ever have those meetings? I, find my, I found myself fighting the battle, and then saying, okay, you've got this, God. You've got this. 
And I'm going to turn my mind to Jesus, and I'm going to focus on him. You ever get bad news? And maybe this week, bad news might come. In that moment, what does it look like to say, okay, I have a choice here. My heart's going to go someplace. I'm just going to simply do this. I'm going to simply remember that Jesus passed through the heavens, gave his own blood, and covered all of my sin. And if he would do that, he's got this. You see what that looks like? Going to Jesus. And maybe you need a reminder. Court and I were talking about this. I was asking her, what do you do? She's like, I love reading the Psalms in those times. They just remind my heart. Maybe singing the psalm, maybe that's it. You ever get angry at your kids? You ever get angry at my kids? Let me know. I'll get them for you. (laughs) My kids are angels. Perfect angels. Every one of them. And like, there's some temptation to like, right? I mean, just like, now, sometimes it's needed, some punishment, but not an anger. Not an anger. So I got to just talk to my heart again and remember it's taking all of these moments and training my heart, training my mind to again and again and again bring it to Jesus and to call on him to help. That's what that looks like. Maybe right now this morning you got a burden you're bringing in. You got a need that you have. And you know you got it. And you're tempted to either take it yourself and do it Or maybe you're tempted just to doubt that God will actually do it, can and will do it. What I want you to do right now, even in this moment, is to give it to Jesus again. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes right now? And I'm praying, I have been praying that in this moment, the Holy Spirit would lay that thing on your heart, whatever that thing is. And that instead of carrying that, what you would do is you would lay it at the feet of Jesus. I I don't even know what it would look like for him to show up. And maybe you don't even know what it looks like for him to show up. Like, what does it look like for God to show up here? You may not even know. But regardless of that, just say, "I I don't know, Lord, but I just, I trust you. I trust you. And give it to him again. Listen. You don't need to be a better you first. Hear me say this. You don't need to be a better you first. The gospel has taken care of that for you. You don't need to fix you first. It's already done. You just need to lay it at the feet of the Savior. Take a moment and do that. Father God, there are several things that I want to lay at your feet myself right now. There are several things that I have coming up this week that I don't know the outcome of them. But I'm laying them at your feet. And I'm just turning my heart to you. And I'm going to live in not fear, but faith and joy that you've got this. I'm not going to live focused more on my doubt. I'm going to focus... Lord, on what you have already done. I'm not going to live thinking about how short I fall. I'm going to spend more time thinking about how high Jesus is and what your son has done for me. And I'm going to let that rejoice my heart through it all. 
Father, I pray that you would help us all do that more and more this week because of who your son is. We ask it in his name. Amen.